Today is Wednesday, July 5th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I am a sunburnt and tired and mildly sick host, Nate. So, grab your pillow, grab your blanket, prepare to sleep while you listen to this subdued discussion today. (laughs) So, uh, do I recommend the Talmud for spirituality, for spiritual growth? No. To understand correctly the way these people's laws actually are? Yes. So, as to not be understood, all you need is Jesus. All you need is the Bible. Uh, All you need is to have faith in Jesus to save you, to make you born again, to give you eternal life, repent of your sins. That is all you need for a Christian living in Christ. You will be sealed by the Holy Spirit. God himself will live with you. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you where you need to go. But if you're like, hey, here's a bunch of Old Testament laws. How do I know how you know to properly interpret them? then go read the Talmud or ask a rabbi. Um, so there you go. For intellectual pursuit, if you want to know how to correctly apply and, and you know, understand the law of Moses, then do it how they do it. Um, anyways, then the Ark Encounter. We have uh, our guest Chris joined us, and his family went on a vacation to the Ark Encounter. So we hear a little bit about that. So I guess get your tickets now. Anyway, check out the Ask a Christian store. Check out the Ask a Christian book, free to read with Amazon Unlimited or Kindle Unlimited on Amazon, whatever. And you can also click the donate to help us keep going and sharing these gospel Jesus-centered conversations with people on the internet. So enjoy this day. Maybe I'll be. Maybe I'll get some rest tonight and be a little more chipper tomorrow. <laughs> All right, take care. See ya. Huh. Well, let's. Let's talk about another installment of I'm responsible for what I say, not what people understand. <laughs> but I've always been a fan of that, even though, you know, I do go the extra mile um, to try to make it very clear what I'm saying so people do understand. But I mean, reasonability runs out at a certain point. So <laughs> lately, because, you know, people talk about the law of Moses so much that I end up talking about the correct way to understand it so much. And as a result, I think people are thinking, I'm like, I I don't know what they're thinking, right? Because I I like to think it's very clear that I'm saying, no, you follow Jesus, right? He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. On these commands hang all the laws and all the prophets. So if you're alive in Christ, you're not under the law at all. And if you're a Gentile, this law was never, ever, ever yours. That's the official Christian position, right? That being said, every time there's some Christian, for just scholarly reasons, that wants to parse their way through the law and intellectually understand it, well, I say go consult the Talmud. That's the right way to do it. Every time a non-Christian says, uh, you know, tries to pull something out of Deuteronomy, you're like, see, look how evil this law is. <laughs> um, although Christians have no dog in this fight, except technically same God. If you want a proper way of understanding it, it's not just reading the bullet point and pronouncing judgment on an evil God you don't believe in. Um, You must consult the Talmud. Um, So that's the answer. And I guess lots of people are hearing (laughs) that I'm like telling people to go read the Talmud and I'm like recommending it or something like that. And uh, I'm like, just just no. So anyways, that's my attempt yet again to go a little further away from I'm responsible for what I say, not what people understand. Um, but for their benefit, there we go. What do you think about that, Michael? Did you misunderstand that? Am I telling people to convert to Judaism or giving a signed reading of of the Talmud out to people? Well, no, I think it's just, 
you know, recognizing that there's more than one reference point that a person can use. It, it is interesting, though, you know, for people to say, oh, you know, that's, you know, whether you're talking about Levitical law or something, you know, something equally um, terrible. Um, I, I have heard, and this is something that uh, maybe we can have a point of dis- a disagreement on. Um, although, you know, although a Christian can say, well, you know, you know, we're not under this you know, code anymore because of, you know, Jesus and, and all this other stuff, it doesn't, that doesn't take away the fact that there was a time that God, assuming it's all true, did order these, did order these types of things, did, you know, did institute these, these laws, right? And it's, so I think, I think sometimes that, because I think in the, in the past, before I did some more, I don't know, call it insightful uh, research or more thorough research, um, I used to say the same thing. Um, but I think I've just now taken a more nuanced position in that you know, yes, it, it might be it might be fair to say, and I'm not a biblical scholar at all, right? To to uh, to quote. Uh, my friend Josh is down the audience. This is outside my area of expertise, um, but it—I I don't think—I don't think it gets—I don't think it gets you as far as you might think it does, because it's still the case that there was a time that God said these things were—you know—you were under the law to do these things, and you were to do these things, which are still terrible. Yeah, well, so there was a little bit of a lot there. So first of all, if you're not an Israelite, these were never for you, never. Even back in the time when, you know, God shot them out of the sky in the Ten Commandments and they had 613 laws, if you're not an Israelite, these were never for you. So um, to make that point clear, right? So it's not like, you know, Christians, like, you know, Christ followers, even before Christ was incarnate, um, at some point Gentiles had to follow these laws they just never did. I mean, there's a handful of overlap, right? Like don't cheat, don't murder, stuff like that. But as far as being bound with a 613, that never existed for Gentiles. Um, so like I said, the only dog we have as Christians in this fight is technically same God. So for the Christian who these were never, you know, the Gentile Christian 2023, these were never laws. So we don't need to know them as if we're practicing them because they just never applied and they don't apply now. Um, so, like I said, only stake in this fight is technically same God. So when we tell other people, um, you know, like you pointed out, if someone picks a bad law or, or, you know, a bad sounding law and wants to condemn Christianity for it and we're like, well, it's not our law, then they're like, well, it's your God. Great. So at least understand the law properly, how the people whose law it actually is follow it. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, like animal sacrifice or something, if, if they, you know, have a problem with harming animals or killing animals, then they may have a legitimate gripe, like if that's where they want to go. But as far as like, you know, um, the depiction of like Deuteronomy or whatever, where it's like you could totally like rape and pillage your way through the ancient times and pay a couple shekels and God's totally cool with that. Um, no, that's just incorrect. So you need to understand it the way they understand it. And to do that, call a rabbi or go read the Talmud. So the Christian's not recommending, you know, you do that in your Christian walk to foster with Christ because it just has nothing to do with you. Um, but to the person who wants to pronounce judgment and be like, look how bad this is. 
well, do some exploring and you'll realize it's not exactly as bad as you're trying to make it. And after you do the exploring, if still it's not to your liking, at least you'll have a correct understanding. And then if you have a problem with it, well, fine, have a problem with it. But at least have a problem with the correct way it's interpreted by the people whose law it is, not having a problem with it because of your incorrect assessment of it. That's all I'm saying. And uh, D in chat, um, yeah, that wasn't a specific law. It was like just all of it. Like, you know, whenever people just pick any law in, in the Levit in Levitical law, um, the only way to get a correct understanding of how that law was carried out and how it's understood is through the Talmud. So anyway, it's just, it's just a point of ignorance when people pick like one or two lines in the Bible and then act as if they have a correct understanding and a perfect understanding of how that law is held and applied when there's like 37 volumes of, of Talmudic law to like basically 37 Bibles, like they're that big. So there's like 37 Bibles to deal with a section of the Bible that's written down in like several pages. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, that's all. Again, if you want to be a Christian, just follow Christ. Great, have faith. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Turn, turn your eyes toward heaven, repent, believe the gospel, and you never need to know a single thing about the law. So this is just for people who want to like have have um, you know problems with God or problems with the Bible based on the law they find in the Old Testament. Um, if you're going to have a problem with it, at least have a problem with it correctly. And people do, right? Like Jesus is walking around and he offended plenty of people. So it's like, well, if you're going to have a problem, just you know have a problem with something that is correctly understood. Like Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. Have a problem with that. How, how exclusive is that? That's not including everyone. So if someone wants universalism, well, great. That's a correct understanding. Jesus says he's the only way. So all other religions, all other philosophies are false and will lead you to hell. That's how it's correctly understood. So if someone wants to have a problem with that, great. Have a problem with that. But you now understand it correctly. Morning, Chris. Morning, Random. Yo. Morning. How was your fourth, Chris? It was pretty good, man. Um, I met up with uh, Bradley uh, Anson, if uh, you remember one of the one of the college kids that's uh, reading a lot, um, and uh, that's the third time I've met up with him and got him got the kids some tacos and we talked about uh, theology for about three hours. Oh, I, do I know him? Uh, well, you know Tyler, right? Ignatius. Uh, in, or... Insanius. Oh, Ignatius. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that guy. So his one of his good friends is Anson on the app. So. Oh, okay. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning, Gia. So is everyone back to normal? Everyone back to work after the holiday? I'm working right now. Michael, do people uh, in Canada, I mean, maybe not uh, celebrate the 4th of July, but do you at least blow stuff up for fun? Well, no, we kind of have our whole uh, own day on July 1st, Canada Day. Um, and, and yeah, um, fireworks and stuff are a thing. Um, I've never really been into it all that much. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of people do. Uh, I'll take, you know, <laughs> I'll take a holiday. Uh, any day, but, uh, but yeah, it does, it does happen. We just do it, uh, three days earlier than you do. Neat. 
Um, What's up, Brandon? Did you have any? Oh, yep. Go ahead. Oh, hey, Brandon. Hey, has Mac talked to you yet, Brandon? Mac's my dog's name. Oh, here comes Brandon. Brandon. Good morning. How are y'all doing? You said the Mac, Chris? Yeah, Professor Mac. Has he gotten with you? Oh, not Mac. Uh, not as of yet, uh, unless he's been trying to wave me and I've been missing it. I, uh, I think I've has missed Wave it. been broken for you too. Wave has been broken for me this week. What's Wave? Yeah, it's I, it's been some weird stuff going on. That's why I was like, yeah, I don't want to say he hadn't tried because he may have tried and I just may have. Missed. Yeah, Dempsey tried to wave me several times and it wouldn't work. So I don't know. Uh, Nate, wave for the for yeah for the chat people. feature. Yeah, the little the little one on one chat feature, but uh, anyway, so he wants to do a written debate and uh, have it be a group thing with uh, you and uh, either Marvin or Jerry Hayes or somebody like that, and then I was going to bring all the teenagers. Okay. Uh, oh, written debate parts. We all write something. Uh, different sections. So yeah, I mean, I guess I, we haven't fleshed out everything yet, but like he wanted to have a debate debate and I was like, Hey, how about we write it down first? And we have a very narrow question because he was like, yeah, let's do the Trinity. And I was like, bro, that's not, that's way too broad. Like that's silly. So we're going to come up and maybe you can come to come up with some ideas too. So we're going to come up with an idea and then we're going to do, um, written. And then Michael has graciously, um, agreed to moderate for us um for the uh for the clubhouse portion sure yeah awesome which you know it's interesting to say that i was just talking to someone um like when you deal with i would say real like fear how can you say academic theologians uh i would say that's probably one of the mark stones of a of a, of a difference between an apologist and a theologian i find most like real apologists most real theologians really only like to write uh formal responses um I guess you don't always jump to do the oral kind of debate, and it's more of a uh, apologetic thing, if that makes sense. But yeah, I think that'd be fun. Uh, what? And I guess like what you said, I'd agree with. It would need a little bit narrowing because uh, it's a broad subject, especially I guess depending on you know what approach to Trinitarianism, which I'd imagine you guys are classical, based on everything I've talked to you about. I, I wouldn't wouldn't imagine any of that, that that silly social stuff. Yeah, we're economic, but um, yeah, I think we would we would probably be talking about the hypostatic union. Um, oh yeah, and uh, so so that's that's kind of where we were headed. But you know, we we can go with a, a bunch of different ideas and bounce them off the wall and see what you guys want to do. Oh yeah, even though with the hypostatic union, I imagine it's it's so much overlapping there um, that we maybe find ourselves agreeing more than disagreeing. Uh, I I think that you will be surprised at how much there is no overlap, but you know, that's okay. Um, but that's why we do these things. So yeah, I think, but the written portion of it is going to be the key. And then we agreed to one round of written rebuttals and then we would have the discussion. So. Okay. I'm going to sleep as you're talking about this. That's great. Man. That's, <laughs> that's great. Thanks, man. Um, Oh, I don't know, man. Does anyone does anyone expect anything to like come out of this and anyone's opinion to be swayed, especially from a written debate? Like it's bad enough when, you know, at least it's entertaining and we can eat popcorn while people are yelling at each other. 
but to have something written down, like I've been trying to like read a paragraph while, while I'm, I'm having this conversation. I can't even get through the paragraph. Like, I think it helps you to understand people better at least with, with writing, it gets rid of a lot of the communication noise. So, you know, it really helps. (laughs) Well, and the other thing too, is like, I'm real tired of just having the same discussion over and over again. If we can point to a position paper, that everybody signs off on, then we can just, that's the shortcut. Then it's like, you know what? I don't care about this discussion. Why don't you just go read this PDF and then everybody can just keep posting the PDF. And then we don't have to have the same discussion on Clubhouse 87,000 times. That's kind of the thing I want to do. What what gets me is having a conversation with people who think they know what they're talking about and they don't. And uh, I guess that was the reason I did the room other day. I was like, I said, it's, I said, it's like, you, you know, you, it's like, can I find a, if we're going to talk about the Trinity, can I find a real Trinitarian to disagree with? Because, like, when I have to spend most of my time, like, defending the Trinity because you're butchering, you're butchering it while claiming to affirm it is, is tiring. Mm-hmm. Believe me, we think the same thing. So. Um, well, what's yeah. up, Edvrin? Where do you stand on this? Would you like to? Read lots of back and forth. I actually well, don't even care. What's up, Everett? Do you have hey. something else to talk about? <laughs> well, sort of. I don't know. I have to say, I was very intrigued. I don't know if they actually had a debate, Chris and Albie, in that topic a couple weeks ago. But that was very interesting about whether Christ can sin. That, that's a debate I'd like to hear between the two of them because I respect the both of them. And I, I was intrigued by it. Um, did you... Was Wait, that that's settled? where Chris like, got mad and... Oh, yeah. well, because I didn't want to have the discussion at that point, and okay. Albie okay. did not understand the point that I was making in any way, shape, or form, and was responding to a Muslim argument instead okay. of what I was talking about. And so his his response was purely um, having to do with what the Muslim argument is, mm-hmm. and not having anything to do with um, what Augustine was talking about. Um, when I was positing that particular topic. Okay. So, so for the record, Chris, you, you, do you believe that Christ could have sinned? It's just that he obviously chose not to sin. Is that your position? No. So again, it's a theologically nuanced position, which is why I didn't want to have it in this room because Nate would blow his brains out. (laughs) With love and kindness metaphor. Yes. No, no. Nate would blow his own brains out to make it stop. So not that he would perform violence on anybody else, but um, no. So, so the, the whole deal is that we say that Christ had the ability to sin and the ability to not to sin. Okay, and so that's extremely important when we're talking about the validity of the human nature. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into that in terms of what's the difference between a nature and a person. What is the difference between an ability um, and a proclivity? Um, Are we talking about fallen human nature? We are not. So there's just a whole bunch of theologically nuanced stuff in there that Albie was basically taking a sledgehammer to when we were having a discussion that needed a micro scalpel. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. What's up, Rindu? You have anything on your mind this morning? Hey, see you down there. What's up? And everyone else. Are you speaking, Rindu? 
Perhaps not. No, uh, I I was trying to find the mic. Oh. You have found it. Okay. Good yeah. So sorry. Uh, I guess I. I had a I had an original question, uh, but the uh, the topic of conversation distracted me from my original question. So when I get back, I'll. Let... Oh sure sure. Incensius. Good morning. Good morning. What's up, CEO? What's up? You had a good pour. Oh, I did. I did. I I'm very sunburned. It hurts to move. <laughs> hey, Yvette. Morning. Anything on your mind this morning? Sure. Um, so yesterday <laughs> I was reading scriptures and trying to delve deep, at least, uh, at least try for myself. <laughs> um, yeah, and I've come to the passages of the cross and meditate in meditating on them <clears throat> on the on the the scriptures in of Isaiah that speak of the crucifixion of Jesus and his suffering um has helped me um feel better about myself when I pray because I can see that his suffering, at least reading it in reading it, has led to um my redemption and and uh, I just thought I'd share that. It, it humbled me greatly. Like the position that Jesus took in my to take my place of uh suffer suffer suffering from like a sin conscious not that he's ever sinned i'm i'm just saying like because he took our sin i'm imagining like he was able to feel the pain of having a sin conscious and you know experiencing that and and suffering shame because of that um do you get what i'm getting at Nate, I don't know if I'm out of line here. If I am, just let me know. I don't know. Does anybody else get what she's getting at? No, nobody. Do you get it? No? I'm just I saying, think I, like... I think I get enough. You do? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, I'm... Because I, I, I just started going, Googling online about this the uh, sin conscious and righteous conscious uh, type of teachings just to help. It's because I feel like those things help because um, I don't like to think of myself as a person that I don't feel like I am when I'm in Christ because I'm still learning the word of God. I'm still, I'm still a student. And, um, I thought I would just humble myself before learning more about, um, about scriptures in my position with Christ 
um, because I just imagine, you know, Jesus Christ on the cross, he was defeated. And so that's why we're able to live victoriously in Christ. So he was defeated, meaning like um, uh, he, you know, he, I don't know. I just think he just experienced our, our failures. I'm not saying he was defeated in doing the, uh, of dying in the cross. I'm just saying like, he he was just uh, innocent, innocently uh, thrown into that situation, or they he they he allowed himself to be made a mockery uh, of you know uh, <clears throat> of the of what he was being accused of for. So he was being accused of you know things that he never did. And uh, he did it all just to take the suffering that came with uh, in taking uh, in taking our sins on himself. So I don't know, Chris. Can you say something profound out of that? Am I making sense, Chris? Oh, you bet. So oh, I'm sorry. Can I chime in? Yes, you'll be Chris's stand-in. Yeah. <laughs> so you've, are you speaking about like when the Bible says that Christ became like sin for us and he took the punishment yes. for our sin and our griefs and our diseases? and Exactly. Um, yeah, and he was crushed. You know, Isaiah talks about how it was it pleased God to bruise him. You know, so he was you know, punished for all the sins of his, his people. So when you mentioned the sin conscience, I was curious, what I think what it... What did you read about that? Like the sin conscience? I'm not sure I've ever heard that expression. Yeah, that was yeah, going to be my question too. Could you expound oh, on this right. sin conscience? Right, right, right. So when we're in Christ, we're justified in him, right? So we're righteous conscious, like meaning um, that we're aware that the righteousness we carry comes from Jesus because and that the only reason we have it we're part we partake of it sorry is uh because we're closed in it since Jesus lives in us we um our source of life comes from him through his spirit living in us um so that's why there's a, a actual teachings out there about that talk about the sin conscious and the righteous conscious. So that would be the righteous conscious. Um, and uh, the sin conscious would be uh, from our, that comes from our former life. Um, when we feel shame because of the sins that we have committed, we feel uh, defeated uh, because Satan uh, has a hold of us. Uh, through the sin, the, I guess the power of sin that it has over our lives, meaning like if we're suffering from an ailment or uh, say, you know, the sh we experience the shame that comes from the, our conscious of, you know, our sin conscious, like the sins that we have committed, like sin conscious, meaning the, um, Acknowledge when you're acknowledging the sins that you have committed, so you feel 
pain, uh, shame from it. You feel uh, less than a human being, or I don't know, you just don't feel worthy before God. I got you. Yeah, I yeah. think that. Oh, can I interject? You bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I follow you. That's an interesting question. So, interesting issue. So, when a Christian, we know that when we're justified, all of our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. But when we when we sin, I think there's a sense of shame that we should feel, and our that should be our emotional response. We did something wrong. We displeased our heavenly Father, and that should go to you know. We should take that to God and confess our. Our sin, I think once God, you know, forgives us of the sin, we shouldn't feel shame any longer. Any thoughts on this, Nate? Like we should know, not feel that shame? I don't I don't know. This is an interesting question. What do you think, Nate? Chris, anybody? Um I, I mean I think I think we I mean I think we facts don't care about feelings. I'll start with that. So no matter how you feel, yes, it, it can make you feel a certain way. Maybe you're you know, you have a guilty conscience or we believe like, you know, you're, you could be convicted about something, which is like a deterrent, like, oh, I, I, you know, I know I shouldn't be doing this and I'm not going to do this because I already preemptively know how I'm going to feel and I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do this sin or this type of thing. Or if you do it, uh, then you feel bad. You're like, ah, man, I feel bad. But those are feelings. The fact is, if you put your faith in Christ to forgive you and save you and give you eternal life, then you, regardless of how you feel, the fact is you're good. Jesus already paid for that. Um, so, I mean, you know, if you want to keep from, from feeling bad about doing stuff in the future, well, don't do bad stuff in the future. Um, that's what I think. But okay. to have like some sort of like Catholic guilt or something where you like have to beat yourself with a flail or do like, you know, set on like kneel for hours on broken glass uh, to like make yourself, um, you know, really, really feel bad and feel like you're doing something, by the way, to, to, I don't know, gain brownie points with God. Like, then I know that's not where the Yvette's going, <clears throat> but I mean, that's just taking it like several steps, several steps farther, which is, yeah, the result of like, you get into like some kind of work, like you did something bad, you have guilt, like you can, you can do works and like hurt yourself to somehow make it okay. Um, besides just being like psychologically messed up. It's religiously unnecessary and harmful. Mm -hmm. um, so, just to interject something, Nate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, let's say I sin and I feel shame. I go to God, and you know, and God, you know, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all trespass. So, ideally, then I shouldn't feel once I do that and God forgives me. Now we're talking about familial forgiveness as opposed to judicial forgiveness. But anyway, so I shouldn't feel shame any longer. And as I think about that sin, I shouldn't feel ideally, ideally, I shouldn't feel shame if God has forgiven me and as a father. Does that make sense? Yeah. And are you talking about like, you know, the moment you do something now or like for all the stuff you've done in your lifetime before? Uh, I'm not talking about something like, like I, let's say I sin, um, you know, in a certain way on a given day. Uh, and let's say a man, let's say he commits adultery, right? And he acknowledges his sin uh, and he feels shame over it. He goes to God, he asks for forgiveness. And, and, you know, God promises he receives forgiveness from God as a father. Should he feel shame of this emotional disturbance when he 
about that sin, or should he feel at peace? Does that does that make sense? Well, I mean, it would be well, I mean, it would be hard not to feel some sort of remorse mm. immediately. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if we're especially like if we're talking about you know past stuff or whatever, like oh, I was such a terrible person, versus you you just immediately do something. I mean, it would the point still stands, like, but the the reality is, you know, it would be hard not to ex- experience some sort of regret or remorse or bad feelings because it just happened and we are still human. So to be completely uh, cyborg about it, um, I mean, in theory, try that. But in reality, um, you're probably going to still feel a little bit bad. But like, you know, Paul talks about, oh, what's that verse? Does anyone know where it talks about godly sorrow produces repentance and leads to eternal life? So there is a definitely a place. Like if you're immediately going out like and just committing all kinds of sin, you're like, oh, gosh, what have I done? Ah, then, I mean, you're going to feel convicted. You're going to feel a bad way about that. Um, and then the, you know, the, the remedy Paul talks about is this stuff, this like godly sorrow, um, it's going to produce repentance. So you're going to recognize, oh, I was wrong. I'm convicted. I don't want to do that again. And you're going to repent. So you don't do that again. Um, anyways. But yeah, especially oh, thanks, if we're Mike. talking about like things that things that are like done and over, it's like, oh, you know, I still feel like plagued of guilt by that thing I did like two years ago. Like, I know I've, you know, I've been forgiven and all that, but I can't get over it. Like the way that would like play out, I believe, is you'd be like, oh, God, please forgive me for this, for this. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? Forgive you for what? <laughs> you know, because I mean, he talks about, you know, as far as the east is from the west, that's, you know, that's how far you're separated from all the all the oopsies and sins and stuff. So it's, it's like oh you remember that thing i did two years ago i'm really sorry for that can you please forgive me it's like what are you talking about i'm not saying god doesn't know stuff or god's forgetful or has amnesia or something but really i mean it's already done and gone so like any guilt that's remaining you're just trying to like punish yourself or feel bad when no one else is not not even god who's already forgiving you of that yes that 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 was the point i was trying to make um we're trying to punish ourselves by um, feeling shame. Um, I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's bad to feel shame. I'm talking about when we're in prayer, in our relationship with Christ, he covers our shame, just like in the Garden of Eve when Adam and Eve ate of us a forbidden fruit, felt shame for the first time. Because they acknowledged their sin, so they were sin conscious. They hid behind the bush. Jesus looked for them. He was walking on the earth looking for them. And then uh, they came out feeling shame. But in response, what did Jesus do? He covered, he, he killed an innocent animal, used the skin, uh, a bloody skin, of the animal to cover their shame. That's what happens when we we approach Christ. We come to him feeling shame, ashamed of our sin. And his response is to what? Is to cover us with his righteousness so that we would be righteous conscious instead of sin conscious. So we ask boldly for our sins to be forgiven, having been covered from the shame through the righteousness of Christ in us. And, you know, we we look justified. We look as if our past history 
has as as if we've never sinned because that's Jesus. He has never sinned once. That's what righteousness means. And you never sinned, not even one time. And that's impossible for a human being to do unless Jesus Christ is living in you. So you carry Jesus' history instead of your past of your former that comes from your former life. And so, yeah, that's what I was learning. Because the more you learn the, in, about the word of God, you become proud. Because you're like, I am strong. I am this. I am worthy. I am I'm without sin because uh, I'm in Christ. I'm, you know, that all these things that, that you learn. But you, you need to also remember that what Jesus did on the cross. He took your punishment. Yeah, it's basically all the like yeah. daily affirmations, some like spirit energy humor would say, um, yeah. except add in Christ. So like, you know, I am worthy in Christ. I am a beautiful creature in Christ. I am, you know, the righteousness of God in Christ. Um, so it's it's basically all the stuff like people would say, like, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I am, what you know, whatever makes people feel good or whatever. Um, but it's, it's to point upward to christ like without christ i am well this is where it sounds bad right like without christ i'm nothing i'm bad i'm incapable of this i'm you know non-existent because without christ you know under the christian paradigm we wouldn't exist so so with christ you can do all things right with christ without christ then you know we all suck that's that's the point <laughs> um yeah so turn that frown upside down uh it's it's funny dark, what, yeah no i just go ahead yeah, I just want to chime in quickly before I lose this thought. Um, so go, it has to go back a little bit because everybody was chatting. I didn't want to chime in. But um, so when I when I was a Christian, I actually believed that it was actually my position that Jesus could have sinned. Um, because if he didn't have the capacity to sin, then when he died, it wouldn't have been, you know, like the it, it would be like. If, if he had gone through life without the ability to sin, it would be like uh, playing a game on easy mode, right? We just go through everything because there's no real challenge, right? Um, and then, so that that was my thought anyway. But then also when, uh, I think it was Ed that had said, you know, kind of at, uh, you know, when he, when, he had, uh, when he was crucified, you know, kind of like being defeated and stuff like that. But I actually had a different view as then as well. And it was my thought that at that time, it was actually more of a triumph. Right, that he'd gone through this thing, uh, and now, uh, like he, like the Bible says, and he can, proclaims on the cross, you know, it's it's finished, right? So basically, you know, I, I came down to do this thing. Now I've done this thing, and I win, and then that's it. Anyway, that was my thought. Uh, Dark, what's up? <clears throat> Are you speaking, Dark? Uh, yes, sir. I had to get to my phone. Do I have background noise or anything? Uh, a little bit. Okay. How does it sound? Like, is it crazy? <clears throat> uh, it's not crazy. All right, for sure. So, uh, I was, you know, I didn't want to... Ooh, it's getting crazier. It's getting crazier. Okay, maybe I'm going to step back, and uh, the next opening, I'll take that. All right. All right. Good morning, Pastor Mark. Feel free to join us if you like. Hopefully you had a good holiday. 
and anyone else so with that uh from what i've said with that uh <clears throat> would that define what scripture says when it it says that jesus loved us uh while we were sinners cuz he uh he died for sinners. He took all the punishments. It's all about the focus on on what had happened on the cross was on what was done for sinners. But after he resurrected, the focus is being done for those who are now going to belong to him. The the things that you received uh through him the blessings that you receive through his righteousness and because we we've been bought we've been purchased we are now his right yes i guess i'm curious if i can ask a question um we were it was it was, it was talked about shame and so my question is, like, when you originally sin, you feel shame. Um, but we're talking also about after after the forgiveness step. Uh, there is still shame. And so is are those two different? Are, are those shames different? Are they the same? Not 100% um, with you. Uh, well, I mean, regardless of the feeling, I'd say one is... One is justified, right? Like you, you, you do something, you immediately feel guilty. Um, I, I mean, even even without talking about God or forgiveness or anything like that. Like you know, if you disobey a parent when you're a kid, or or you know, if you just do something or you wrong a coworker, um, even if you take religion out of it, right? It's not some spooky weird thing. Like everyone deals with this that you're going to feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, um, you know, the other day I, I was actually getting something getting something from the store and um. I thought there were supposed to be two things in the bag. <clears throat> I didn't open it and look, but I felt like it. there was a third thing in the bag. So I thought, oh, I wonder if I just got something extra, um, you know, and I felt bad about them. I'm like, ah, I feel bad. Like, you know, is it worth turning around and going back to the store and being like, here, here's your like couple dollar item. Um, you accidentally gave me an extra one. Um, so I was like feeling guilty about that. Then, you know, I got home, I opened the bag and I looked at it and it, it was actually part of the same thing. So it was in, it was in multiple, multiple uh, packaging but it was it was just the one item so i'm like oh okay but i mean even that right like i mean i i felt kind of guilty because I, I felt like i unjustly like you know got an advantage of someone and you know so i'm like ah and i felt bad and then when i get home and realize no it was part of the same order it was just in multiple multiple parts i'm like oh okay so it would be weird um and it would be like flawed if i still felt bad over that because it's like well now i have knowledge that i i I felt, you know, guilty or shame that, you know, I took it, took it, I mean, even though I didn't have any idea, but I still felt like in the position of, I took advantage of this person, I got something extra for free that I shouldn't have. And now they're like, you know, going to be out of product or out inventory. So I felt bad, but then I got home and realized that that was all in my head and it was actually just multiple parts. So it would be crazy to continue feeling guilty about that because nothing bad had happened. Everything was exactly as it was supposed to be. So that that's what I'm saying. Like now we add God back into it. It's like when you do something wrong, when you, you know, sin or something like that to, to God. Well, yes, you, you should feel like you did something wrong because you did something wrong. But once, you know, you're like, ah, I recognize this. I, you know, I will resolve. It doesn't mean you're never going to repeat the action, but it means, you know, you, you try to not, I mean, that's repent. It means go the other way. It means do, 
do the different things. So you try to resolve not to do that again. Um, and then it's like, okay, that's over. That's done. You know, my mind is made up. I'm not going down that road again. So then to continue to feel shame after, after that, it's like, why? There's nothing to feel shame over. Like you did something wrong. It's under the bridge. God forgive you. You're resolving to not do this again. So move on. Um, so it's, yeah. So not that it's different types of shame. It's just one is well-placed because you did something wrong. And the other is to still feel bad that you did something wrong, even after that's like wrapped up and taken care of. Got it. So is there like a, a way to identify the the difference in a justified uh, shame versus, let's say, unjustified shame? Well, yeah, what I said. Oh no! I, I sorry. I I specifically meant the feeling. Is is the feeling of shame going to be different versus uh, of for a justified shame versus an unjust? Well, I mean, feeling is subjective. So I mean, maybe someone will say somehow yes, but I mean, I I think, you know, if I feel bad about something, it's generally the same type of feeling. Um, so at that point, it'd just be well, this feeling is well placed versus this feeling is not well placed. But for me, uh, no, I mean there may, I mean, there may be different degrees. Like, you know, the other day I wasn't like, you know, hardcore, like weeping and gnashing of teeth when I thought, you know, like I, I got an extra product. Um, but I was, I was just bothered by it. I'm like, ah, like, how do I make this right? Do I really need to go all the way back? Should I just call him? Uh, you know, like it was, it was a mild feeling of, yeah. Um, versus maybe a different degree. So, I mean, I don't know if I, I, maybe you could tell me like in your life, I mean, I, I get you're not religious, but I mean, you're, in your life, whenever you do something you regret or something like that, do you have the same type of feeling or it's the same type of feeling? It just may be more intense the more the more of a oops you make. I mean, I think that's going to be subjective and vary by person to person, but yeah, yeah what about you? No, 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 yeah. I mean, for me, I, I the, the, shame, <clears throat> the shame is rel, uh, relative to the... Uh, to the the situation, not necessarily uh, justified versus unjustified. Uh, I, I I seem to feel the same, have the same feeling of shame, just to kind of put it generally, um, whether it's justified or unjustified, uh, and basically how it plays out kind of affects that. Uh, not really whether there is a, a different feeling versus of of justified shame versus. A, a feeling of unjustified shame. Yeah, and I'd say we're. I mean, I'd, I'd say we're probably very, uh, yeah, much on the same on the same level. Like, I mean, what you said sounds fine. So, for example, as a non-Christian, I, I don't remember your exact position, but I mean, not a Christian. So, as a not a Christian, um, I would say, you know, once you like, if you if you decided or if you were believed that you know God is real and Jesus is right and all this other stuff that we're saying is true, and you know, you want to become a Christian. I mean, there there would be a legitimate moment where, I mean, you know, you may not may not necessarily feel bad, but I mean, when it hits you and you're like, uh, oh, like, yes, I've done all these egregious things uh, against this God. Yes, I have my own natural regrets with, you know, parents and family, but also this God who made me, my parents and family, like, wow, yeah, I did some bad stuff. Um, you may be like, oh, crap, I feel really bad. But then also that's confronted with, you know, this love of God, knowing that, you know, he, he died on this cross to pay for these oopsies you've made for these sins against God. So 
um, that would be the proper time to be like, oh, yes, I, I totally feel, um, you know, bad or regret or remorse for all the stuff I've done through my entire life. However, you know, I believe Jesus died to save, save me and fix all that. So now I'm forgiven. So now you can let it go. So it's like all this really bad stuff of your life is now confronted with this really good thing Jesus did. So, the, the, I mean, that would be a time to feel a moment of shame and immediately be like, oh, well, now I'm guilt free because uh, I've been forgiven. Um, I think that's how that should go for like non-Christians. But once you're a Christian, yeah, whenever you do fall or make mistakes or, or do sins, just like any normal person, I mean, we're, we're not special. Um, you're probably going to feel bad. And if you don't feel bad for something you do bad, you, you may be a sociopath. Um, that's true. And Nate, that reminds me of going back to the Garden of Adam and Eve. I just thought of this. I don't know how I got this revelation, but this is how it went. Uh, I was, <clears throat> well, I guess while you were talking, I thought that's why Jesus on the Garden of Eden of Eve uh, mm -hmm. killed that innocent animal. It was like him. He sacrificed himself to cover you. You get it with the with his righteousness because he covered Adam and Eve with animal skins that had blood on it. So that was really cool. And the re the reason I got that, you know, epiphany was because you mentioned the word repent. You know, because like re with repent, you turn away from your, uh, the ways, the desires of your former life. And so with repentance, uh, to turn away from your former life would mean that you would turn away your shame from shame to, I guess, to being um, right, uh, righteous conscious, you know, the righteousness of Jesus that covers you through his spirit. Oh, uh, well, Dark, you want to try again? See if you have a better connection this time. We'll find out in a moment. How about you, Sean? You're being quiet, too. Yeah. You, uh, oh, you got no. it Y'all can hear me? Yes. It's going to be a little loud for a second. I bet. So what I was, uh, the question I have for you guys, hey, you know, what's up, guys? I hope you're having a good day. The question I had for y'all was um, Cornelius uh, in Acts 10. What's your position on him? Do y'all believe that Cornelius was an Israelite or Cornelius was a uh, heathen? That's the choices, Israelite or heathen? Is that what you said? I mean, whatever nationality I believe he is, if he falls outside of that category, then hey, uh, Go ahead. But I was asking, what is the nationality of Cornelius uh, in Acts 10? Cornelius was a Roman. So he was probably Italian, or he could have been from somewhere else in the Roman. Also Gentile, if that matters. Yes. Yeah, he was, the, the point is that he is a Gentile. All right. Well, asked and answered. <laughs> well, uh, was there a larger point you was there a larger point you wanted to make, Dark, about that or anything, or that was the question? Yeah, that that right there that that right there was the question itself. 
uh, you know, depending on how in depth y'all went, I was gonna, you know, ask further questions. But if that's just it, then hey, then uh, thank y'all for giving me the answer. I'm gonna have another question in a second. Just give me, just give me a moment. I'm about to get loud again. So. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> thank y'all for y'all. Well, Chris, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess there's nowhere deeper to really go, right? Because I mean, the point. Of, I, I don't know. I mean, where, where could we go? I mean, for intellectual pursuit, but I mean, spiritually speaking, like, you know, he was just a, a Roman Gentile officer in the army. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of, a whole lot of relevance except the story. Like, um, I mean, I don't know if we need to get into his lineage or ancestors or how far we can even get into that, but I don't know. Steph, did you come up here to talk about Cornelius? Nope. <laughs> what's up nothing oh yeah uh, Nate you sound more sick you might experiencing the flu yeah I definitely have the plague of something oh that's a bummer yeah what's going uh, on it's hey, been so like two months what what's that what'd you say Chris I'll email you those pictures a little later on I'm just driving today so yeah please do I gotta see them <laughs> yeah they're really good so, so Nate um, mm -hmm. you know, we just got back from the Ark Encounter and the Oh, yeah. Museum, and it was awesome, man. It was really? awesome. Yeah. Like, take the kids. Like, take a trip up there. So, you know, JC has been to every theme park known to man multiple times, right? Because we live in Orlando. And he said that the Ark Encounter was the best theme park he had ever been to. Hmm. No no qualifications and so how um like what makes it so awesome like is it is it not just the, the big boat like is there a whole thing around it <laughs> i mean it's it is the big boat but like all this the, all the exhibits that are contained in it and it's three different floors and i mean oh. it's just it's really really good are um, there live animals there so they have a petting zoo outside of the ark because they they wouldn't be well, there's there's all kinds of other laws that have to do with animal keeping and what have you. So, the the animals are in a petting zoo about 50 yards from the ark, and so they have a bunch of they have a bunch of cool animals. They have like kangaroos and wallabies that you can pet, and they've got like I don't know, like all kinds of stuff. It's really neat. Well, cool. Yeah. Where is it? Is it in Tennessee or where it's is it? It's in Kentucky. So it's in northern Kentucky. So like. Yeah, I mean, how old's your how old's your oldest and how old's your youngest without like doxing your family? Um <clears throat> let's see. Um how old are they? God. <laughs> Eight. Wow, yikes. Ugh. Around the ages Oh, birthdays happen, come on. Around the ages of eight and ten ish, we'll say. Okay. Yeah, so like they would be perfect age to go like next year. Like if you planned a summer trip. To just go up for a couple of days. The other cool thing is, if you do three days, you can also do Mammoth Cave, which is like one of the largest oh. caves on the eastern seaboard, and it's really neat too. But we didn't get a chance to do that. But yeah. Wait, did you answer where it was, or was I just not listening? Is it in Tennessee, or? It's in northern Kentucky. So you fly into Cincinnati. So you fly into oh, you fly Ohio. You. You just go south, and it's like thirty minutes from the Cincinnati airport. <laughs> Well, don't know if I'll be flying. Not a really big flyer. I mean, you could drive it. It's a 12-hour drive from Florida, bro. Ugh. Yeah. 
Are you planning to go, uh, Steph? Um, I don't fly either, but maybe someday. <laughs> what do you do in that arc? What do you do in there? It's like a, it's basically like an experience. You just go in, there's lots of different things to read and, and see, and there's a lot of little animatronic things for the kids, and there's little movies every so often that you can go and see, and they're, they're really fun, and, and they're funny, and they're really well written, and just, they're pretty neat, and it's just, you know, the whole thing is like, what is the plausibility of Noah's Ark and a global flood? And they make the very plausible case that this is definitely could be a. Are you talking about an actual ark, <clears throat> or just a museum called the Ark? No, no, no. They built the Ark Encounter, a full-sized ark from the dimensions given in the scripture in Genesis six. Whoa! Wow! Are you it's, serious? I'm serious. Oh my it's gosh! Nuts. Like it is cool. Like, I was like, all right, because they also have it hidden from the road, so you can't really see it. Um, and so you roll up on it, and you're just like, what the what? And it, <laughs> is, it is quite shocking when you pull up to it for the first time. You're like, oh, snap, look at that thing. And uh, it's very impressive. Does it have many stories, like the story of the Ark? Oh, it's got tons of stuff. Like, it took us the full day. Like, we got there at 9 a.m. when they opened, and we didn't leave Ark Encounter until 5.30. And we didn't Whoa. even see everything. Is the whole the whole thing is in the Ark? I mean, you said there's a petting zoo outside, but... Yeah, so their grounds are beautiful as well. So there's, like, other things that are outbuildings that they're building uh, more stuff. So... The Ark is the main attraction, and then there's the petting zoo, and then they've got a, a pretty decent um, restaurant that you can break for for lunch. And then um, they've got just these gardens that are just, like, you can just walk through the gardens. I mean, I'm not, you've got very little kids, so I don't know if you'd want to do that, but, um, you know, the, it's just really cool. And then they've got a VR exhibit as well, and then for the older kids, they've got zip lining, so you actually like have them go do zip lines like it's it's pretty involved it's pretty neat like we didn't even have time like jc wanted to go zip lining we didn't even have time for him to go zip lining because we were trying to see too much so chris after spending nine to five wandering around the interior of a life-size replica arc could you do 40 days and 40 uh well yeah probably i mean it was neat. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there's tons of room. I mean, they've got enough room for the 8,000 animals, and they have enough room for Noah and his family and all the food stores, and they showed how they could do a water store, like a fresh water store. I mean, it was it was impressive, and they would have been on the Ark for about a year. So 40 days and 40 nights is when it was storming and raining, and right, then right. the Ark, when they actually got off the Ark, was about a year from when they got on, and again, a hundred percent plausible, no problem. Okay, I have some real estate questions. How many square feet is this bad boy? <laughs> so it is the largest wooden frame structure in the world. What? I want to say, yeah, I want to say it's four hundred thousand square feet. What? Okay, yeah. wait. So I'm thinking, if you even conservatively gave what? 400 square feet to each animal 
maybe we say 500 to each animal pair. And then my brain is boggling right now. It's ridiculous. Like, go look at the website. Like, it's nuts. I'm telling you. You're like, I'm like, what the what? And it's like, they could put like, I don't remember how many, they have like all these little like, you know, comparisons, you know, like how many 18 wheelers could you fit in the ark? And it was like a <laughs> stupid number. I mean, it was like 150 18 wheelers or something crazy. I mean, it was like, wait, what? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm telling you guys, it's impressive. I, you know, I don't, I want to say it was 400,000 square feet, but I could be wrong. It may have been like 350 or something like that, but it's a, it's a sizable building. I mean, that's, that's an incomprehensibly enormous amount of space for a boat. Is that the same boat they used in the movie Noah's Ark? No. The, the one, that one is CGI. They actually built this one in real life. But the, it's not an actual ark. Like, I mean, they, you know, it's a building made to look like an ark at the same dimensions of the ark. It's not, like, if there was a real flood, it wouldn't float away. Right. I mean, it's it's definitely it has AC and like all of the comforts like, you know, it's not not like you're just walking on an actual replica arc, but it's the same dimensions as the actual. Arc. Oh, Pastor Mark said that he's fl he's flying into Cincinnati. Pastor Mark, are you going like right now? As we wait for an answer. Oh, yes. Wow, neat. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm telling you guys. And and the art at the Creation Museum, like, the original exhibit at the Creation Museum is kind of cheesy, okay? It's like kind of cheesy animatronics, <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's cute. Um, but the new stuff that they've built surrounding it, and the building's enormous, is so impressive, and the art is so... And I'll, I'll send you those pictures when I'm not having to go swap a router. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it is well worth every penny, you know, we dropped a little bit of money and I don't feel bad. Who, who funded this? Like who's behind this? So they got thousands and thousands of donors. Um, and it's, you know, a commercial engagement, you know, so everything costs money, but you know, I mean, they, they they're getting like. I want to say they're getting a million visitors a year now to the art. So the original idea was started by Ken Ham. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, at the Creation Museum. Oh, so they're they're related? They're tied yeah, together. You didn't know yes. One. Yeah, you uh, buy one ticket and you uh, can go to the Creation Museum and you can go to the art. So it's it's really neat. Has Steph just grown? Yeah, she's she's not a she's not a hamite. She's a um, hamite. She's a rawite. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. She's a rawite. That's hamite. correct. <laughs> but What's no, up, dear? How's your? She'll go to this. She'll go to this exhibit and then she'll come back a hamite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. It'd have to be pretty convincing. But it sounds really cool. I mean, that's absolutely something I would take the kids to. You know, there's no, it doesn't matter. Just seeing a replica of the Ark and seeing the feasibility of it is just, that's awesome. I don't care where you fall on the old Earth, young Earth argument. That's just a really awesome thing to do and to see.
It is, oh, Mark says it is the uh, museum's well 45 minutes away from the Ark. Correct, yeah. It's like, so you, so we stayed in a little town called Crittenton, which is kind of between both. And so we would go south to the Ark about 20 minutes, and then we would go north to the Creation Museum about 30 minutes. So they're, they're, they're definitely separated, but they are the same business unit. So you buy one ticket, and you can go to both exhibits. And, and it's well worth it. I mean, we spent an entire day. They have a fearfully and wonderfully made um, exhibit at the Creation Museum that is, I mean, it is unbelievable. It is really good. Um, just like the gestation, you know, for babies and like what the different like uh, cycles of development look like. I mean, it's really cool. Um, and then they've got, they've got a... They're building at the Ark Experience, at the Ark Encounter, they're building a one-tenth scale model of Jerusalem. And so you'll be able to go and see the scale model of Jerusalem. And the, the exhibit they have in the Creation Museum right now, it's kind of a pop-up exhibit for the Jerusalem thing, is, I mean, if you want to know anything about first century, you know, Judea, like, it has... I spent, JC and I spent, I think, in just that room alone, two and a half hours just reading the exhibits. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's it's information overload. <laughs> Maybe you can get uh, Joshua down there and uh, Michael to go with you next time. Yeah, that would be fun. They have atheist tours. There's, like, actual tour companies for atheists that go to both of these things. What? Yeah. I totally. want to do the atheist too. Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like your I Love Satan t-shirt to wear? Yeah, so they, so like yeah, like, like Ark Encounter like they they constantly have like atheists that they just invite in for free a lot of times. So that may be your way to get in for free is just be like a really obnoxious atheist stuff when you walk up and they'll probably just let you in for free. Yeah, I have so many good and arguments. See, I'll write down a, on a sign, you know, like, uh, the problem of evil, uh, you know? Just yeah, just, put yeah, that just on go the sign. to the atheist rooms for 20 minutes with Tom Rabbit and figure out some Yeah, he'll get us a lifetime membership <laughs> for free, probably. All right, I gotta go, I gotta go work. I got to go because I am pulling into the hospital to get fitted with a 24-hour blood pressure monitor. Hooray! Oh, that sounds not fun. It really doesn't, does it? Is your blood pressure high or low? It is. So, remember a couple months ago when I had, like, the, when I had the baby and I had the preeclampsia? I was in mm -hmm. the ICU and all that. Okay. It's been 10 months now. And it's been normal, and it just shot up again. So, yeah, uh, who knows? Mystery. Hmm. Any ladies have had this happen, send me a message. I'm like, you know, it's weird. It's probably fine. I mean, my worst case scenario is that I start taking a blood pressure medication at 34, and I have to stay on it my whole life. So I'm not, I'm not in any danger, but that just sucks. Yeah, I know. I, I don't like the idea of being dependent on, on medicine. Like, Right. I mean, don't you have some voodoo rabbit skin thing that you could, um, surely there's some holistic approach you could take, like maybe some kind of tea or something to lower it. Yeah, the, there is stuff like that, but it's so high that I'm in stage two hypertension. So oh. it's not, yeah, it's not the kind of thing that you can like, you know, 
They're like exercise and lower salt and also take this medication. <laughs> but, I mean, and I think if, if I were older, they would be less concerned. But part of it is that my age is like, this is really weird. So. Yeah, I mean, probably stop real estate and move the heck out of New York. That'd probably fix you. <laughs> I know, right? Lower my stress. Get, get, yeah. yeah. But then I'd give up my free health care, so I don't know if I want to do that. Hmm. Well, best of luck. Hopes and prayers. Yes, thank you. Positive vibes, please. <laughs> Sending universal energy. But maybe you can pick up some crystals in the gift stop, or oh, find like the find like the uh, Catholic chaplain and uh, drop just drop all your questions. Like, would you like to confess anything, my child? Would you like me to pray for you? I'd be like, actually, can you answer some of these questions for me? Terrible. You know what though? They <laughs> don't just, just like I unload. Don't, I don't think they have a chaplain at this atheist hospital. I mean, I you I live in a place. They probably have like a witch coven here though. Ah. I oh, live in Sodom, Nate. Like, really, it truly is Sodom here. If if the fire rains down, this will be one of the first places to go. <laughs> and when the Lord That's asks, sad. when the Lord tells me to leave, I'm not going to say, can you find 10 good people here? I'm just going to be like, yep, okay, bye. I'm packing. Right, peace. <laughs> See ya. Makes sense to me, Lord. Bye. <laughs> you told the six other Christians, right? Okay, we're out. Uh Okay, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> All right, see ya. What's up, dear? Are you speaking about anything else? Nope. I just, I went to the Ark Encounter last year, my husband and I, and we spent three days there. So it was pretty fun. Very informative. How about you, Sean? Any dealings with the Ark Encounter or anything else on your mind? Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Yvette, are you at peace with uh, with your discussion? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, I just needed confirmation, uh, and I did. So I just needed, some, uh, I don't know, for others to be like, no, you're not off. <laughs> or, you know, but uh, that's what I got. So... Yeah, I'm I'm very at peace at myself at, at what I've learned so far. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Hey, Harold. Good morning. How are you doing? Peace, brother. Peace. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, good, good. Sunburnt, tired, a little sick. <laughs> right. And how's everyone else doing in the room? Better than me. <laughs> word, word. Solid. <laughs> Wonderful to hear. Well, um, I suppose I, I suppose you may be wondering if I have a question. <clears throat> yeah, if not, we're packing up shop so I can go back to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, do you? Yeah, I do. Um, if you got if you got energy to do if you have the mental energy or anybody for that matter um i wanted to know so hebrews 10 uh a lot of people go to that chapter to say that it's speaking about incarnation there uh where it speaks about um sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body thou hast prepared 
prepared me. So I wanted, and I know that uh, Hebrews 10 is quoting from Psalm chapter 40. So I wanted to know, Nate, if you would be able to break down Psalm chapter 40 and help me to understand what Psalm chapter 40 is talking about. Oh, Lord. You're going to have to give me a minute on that one. I guarantee it's not going to be a very good and thorough one. <laughs> I'm going to need some time to look into that. Um, but I will. I'll do the best I can. What, uh, in your familiar uh, familiarity so far, what uh, what are your thoughts on it while I navigate there? None? Okay, wonderful. All right, say Psalms that, chapter say, 40. Say what you, what were you saying one more time, Nate? I'm sorry, I had to... I said, well, I get to it. What do you what do you think about it? Like, what are your initial thoughts on it? <clears throat> and wait, what was your question about? What's the context or what does it mean? Or yeah, the what, question? yeah, essentially <clears throat> what I'm asking is, is in, in contrast to how people purport Hebrews 10, what is Psalm chapter 40 actually speaking about? Like, basically, the whole song, if you don't mind. Jeez. Yeah. I may have to get back to you on this. Where's Chris when you need him? <laughs> yeah, it, well, if you do, that's that's fair. Um, I mean, Yeah, I'm not usually the first person it. people talk to about Old Testament, but <laughs> for a whole book or a whole chapter. Let's see. I already forgot again. What was your question about it? In contrast to Hebrews 10, what is Psalms 40 saying? Yeah. <clears throat> How many verses is that? Do you know? Do you have it up right now? Uh, it's, it's 17 verses. So, I mean, if we're comparing it to Hebrews 10, I mean, it starts out with like saying, and I also haven't read Hebrews 10 right now, but just what I found quickly. Um, it's got themes of like trust, obedience to God's will and doing what's right. Um, and then by the ending, it seems to talk about how Hebrews 10 contrasts and talks about how um, temporary and insufficient the nature of animal sacrifices um, are. And compares that with the sacrifice of Christ that was once for all time and is sufficient. So, I mean, you could even talk about like, you know, David, how he trusted like God to deliver him and how he is obedient and grateful for everything God did and his relationship with God um, and faithfulness and righteousness and like living. Um, so in a nutshell, I would, I would say that. So like either either you can like focus on the that. Eric Coymans. Oh, crap. If you can hear me, I'll... I have a phone call. I'll be right back. Oh, anyways, that's all I got, Harold. Um, I can look into it more. I'd be happy to, but I'd say either that or you can focus on the sacrifice and versus Jesus, how it was like the ultimate sacrifice compared to animals, how it was temporary and insufficient. 
but I actually have a work call that I have to go, so it's fortuitous. So hopefully that helps, Harold. If not, back channel me, and I'll send you, um, or I'll figure out how to like cut and, cut and paste this, because I'm looking it up on my computer, so I'll figure out how to get to you. But everyone, have an awesome day. It's another short one. We'll see you all later. Peace.